All right, we're talking obesity today. Yeah. Lots of lots of feedback on this one, so this should be an interesting one. Yeah, Kinda. and we left our questions pretty vague on Instagram yeah. too. Yeah, so. just suggestions as to like why it's such a big problem, um, political, social, scientific, everything's yeah. fair game here. Yeah, I found from like the responses that I got on Instagram, it's almost as if like you're talking about politics or religion now when you bring up obesity. There was a lot of like very heated yeah. opinions and like rightfully so for the people that were reaching out to me, like there's a direct impact on their on their life and their well-being because of the obesity epidemic, which um, I believe that's a fair phrase or a fair term to call it. Um, yeah, I would say so. Let me just kind of explain why I think that. I just look at I'm I'm a definitions guy. Like if if something fits, it's always a nice way to kick things off though too, because then we're kind of all on the same page. I mean, a lot of these things you can based on your interpretation, you could take it a number of different ways. So yeah, so this kind of solidifies that it is indeed an epidemic. Um, an epidemic defined as a disease widely occurring in a community at a particular time a sudden widespread occurrence of an of a particular undesirable phenomenon which could be um things like rashes disease um an increase of some sort of marker um it just has to be widespread and across a large number of the population um, okay. not not within one community so um like the flu virus it could be an epidemic of the flu or, in this case, an epidemic of obesity, which is defined as uh, a medical condition with excess body fat has accumulated to an extent that it may have negative effects on health. It's a progressive chronic disease similar to things like diabetes and high blood pressure, which um, the risk of those two diseases increase um, as obesity increases. Right. Uh, usually it's, um, measured using a fairly crude measure called the body mass index. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, but still, if, if you don't know what the body mass index is, it's just basically comparing height to weight. Yeah. Um, which it, there's a lot of uh, holes in that system for sure. Um, especially in our community, because we have a lot of people that are just very, Heavy. muscular yeah. and heavy in that in that sense um so their bmi would be overweight to obese if they were just to look at that but um i mean obviously you have to look a little bit further at the individual right and you can make a very quick determination of whether or not somebody's obese or not by looking at them regardless of what their bmi is right so if right. their bmi is 29 and you look at them and they're you know they're six six foot 225 pounds of muscle I mean they're not obese right you have to break that down a little bit (laughs) well and and we talk about this a lot like we always forget that this quote-unquote community like the CrossFit community whether that's West London London CrossFit in general or just CrossFit everywhere Mm -hmm. it is still a minority Mm -hmm. even though we're kind of biased towards that minority and forget that Maybe it is a small fraction compared to the rest of the population. It is still a minority. So when you look at something like BMI, for the general population, I mean, it's 
it's not as bad as people think. And like the reason I say that is because like, yes, in something like CrossFit, it's, that's like where BMI is at. It's absolute worst. Yeah. We're breaking that system. Yeah. But <laughs> there's still, so the reason I say that it's not the worst, um, measurement of, of all time is that in studies, they can still usually find correlations between BMI and for instance, like risk of cardiovascular disease or right. something like that, suggesting that, okay, there is still a little bit of validity to it. Right. Cause if you can find a correlation again, that's not causation, but if you can find correlation, that means like the majority of the time BMI is still working. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be lovely to get to the point everywhere where, you know, everyone just through like working out and getting into better shape where BMI becomes totally useless because it no longer like works for anyone. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, but I think we're a, a ways away from that. For sure. If you're looking for um, a more accurate measure of body fat percentage and, and things like that, there is you have a lot of resources in London if you're in this area at the university and then also um, London CrossFit or no, CrossFit London, sorry, is on First Street and Jen Boxerman owns Nutrition, Nutrition RX, I think is her, the name of her business. They have a bod pod there as well that you can pay and get your measurements done. So if you're listening to this, it's, you can just go drop in at their gym and book an appointment or just search CrossFit London and give them a call or shoot them an email and, um, She's, the, owner there, Dave. she's the one who Michelle Latondra mentioned the other day. Is that yeah, right? yeah, she's she's very sick. She's uh, she's in a battle yeah. for her life, which is terrifying. Yeah, and really sad. So if anyone there is listening, we send our well wishes to her and her family, and keep fighting. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a sad time for sure. There is ways that you can help them out too. If you follow Michelle Latondra on Instagram, you can follow through a link there. Um, I haven't seen too much posted from CrossFit London, but I'm sure they have some sort of some way that you can help contribute to the to the cause. I mean, she's fighting the good fight, so right. let's help her out any way we can for sure. Um, I had a few other stats here too that we can refer to. Cool. Um, so keep in mind these are American, so. I would say they're a little bit more aggressive than they would be in Canada, but still we're close enough to the States where we can kind of relate to this and still see the value in it. Um, so 40% of adults are obese and excess of 70% would be considered overweight. So again, in the States, which I mean, a lot of the times when you go down to the States, I don't go there a lot, but I've been there enough to know that you get there and it's like pretty noticeable right away. Like mm-hmm. kind of the average, well, you just go to Walmart and look at like the average shirt size. That's usually a pretty good giveaway. Yeah, for sure. And their advertising some on TV yeah, and everything. Like we have a lot stricter laws yeah. enforcing those things, but. And then, so it, actually here's a few good ones too that I think will kind of get the ball rolling on this. Cool. So one of them, this was in 2008, 
estimated cost of obesity was $150 billion. Um, is that? Yeah, $150 billion as a whole, and then $1,400 per year for one individual who is obese. So $150 billion per year. That's those are pretty staggering. Yeah, those are huge numbers. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to see what this actually... So, like, when they say the cost of obesity, I'm just wondering what they're factoring in here. Like, are they factoring in some of those diseases you mentioned earlier that have a heightened risk when someone is obese? Right. Um, and this is something we'll get into later. Like, is it fact... I know this isn't factoring in something like Alzheimer's disease... I wanted to talk about that later on, which people who are obese have a massive increase in risk for Alzheimer's disease. And the annual cost of Alzheimer's disease is like insane, <laughs> like blows obesity out of the water. Um, but anyways, and then this is the, this is the one here that I really wanted people to hear. So most people who attempt to lose weight, at least 10% of their body weight are actually successful, but uh, people are good at losing weight, just not good at keeping it off. So 50 to 70% of people will have regained all of their weight or more within the next two years. So that's the big stat right there. Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, we got, I got a lot of feedback when I, when I reached out on Instagram, just post a question like, what do you think can be done about the obesity epidemic? I had everything from... Um, nothing it's just the way it is to a lot of um, ideas in terms of the educational system and very political changes which I think those are those are very very difficult to have done and those things the person who made those suggestions is in a position where he can hopefully over time using his position um, just in society, I think eventually he can get things, the ball rolling at a level like a Congress level or like something way beyond what you and I have in a reach right now, which is yeah. the people that we coach and the people, the couple hundred people that are going to listen to this podcast, right? It's a lot smaller reach than somebody like that has. But I think that what's getting kind of overlooked in, in all of that in terms of like a political standpoint is the fact that you're dealing with a human being at the end of the day. And addiction is a real factor when we're talking about weight gain and obesity. And I think that stat that you just shared kind of really drills at home. That's almost like a relapse to me, right? It's yeah. almost like somebody's gone to rehab, has gotten clean from whatever drug it is in this case for this person it could be sugar food um, just the the response that they get when they eat it makes them happy they're suppressing some sort of emotional response that they would normally have some sort of frustration that's going on in their life and that could be something that has been deeply rooted in that individual from the time they were a child so think about somebody who had a traumatic upbringing in any way, and you can't, you can't say some stuff is traumatic and some isn't. That's not up to you to determine whether or not somebody had a traumatic upbringing. That's on the individual and their ability to cope. What if their parents, when, when their child was sad, when they were mad, um, or on the flip side, when they were good, they got rewarded with food. Or when they were sad, their parents took them to 
the candy store at the corner to get a bag right. of penny candies or something or nickel candies or probably a dollar candy, whatever it costs now. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like there's there's some stuff that's so deep rooted in somebody's emotional development as as they're when they're a child that it it's really, really difficult to just say, Oh, this person just needs diet and exercise and that's a cure. They know that. Yeah. Right? It's on Wikipedia. Like I'll I'll read it right now. <laughs> Wikipedia Causes of obesity, excessive food, lack of exercise, genetics. Okay, sure. Prevention, societal changes, personal choices. Couldn't be more vague. Not going to help anybody, right? Symptoms, increased fat. We know that. Treatment, diet, exercise, medications, and surgery. We all, that's on Wikipedia. Yeah. I mean, but we, that's, it's true. All that stuff is true. So if we know all this stuff, why is it a problem? That's my thing. Right, it's not enough to just say, "Oh, this person needs to exercise more and they need to eat better." Even if they do that for a short amount of time, like you just said, yeah. fifty what was it fifty to seventy percent are going to gain it back or more. That's right. Yeah, fifty to seventy percent will regain all of it or more back within the next two years. That's, that's sorry, I missed this part. Within three years, ninety-five percent of people will have gained it all back. Ninety-five. So that's a success rate of five percent. Guys, yeah. come on. <laughs> Right, uh, we're we're dealing with something more than just, oh, this person needs to get moving and eat better, and then all the problems are going to go away. This isn't what we're. That's a very surface level approach, and I don't think there's enough caring in that to actually make a difference. Because, it are you and I going to change the obesity epidemic? Absolutely not. Right, it's not. We can't make a great like a no. a large scale change like that. But if enough people get together and take an approach that we're striving to take of like educating these people and actually caring about the people that you're dealing with every single day to be like, Hey, I'm here for you. And we're going to kind of work through this. It's going to take a long time. I'm not going anywhere, right? Like this is what I'm a professional. This is what I do every single day. If you, if you can help one person, that's one more person that you helped. And if you just have that perspective as I think all people in our industry, if they had that perspective, instead of being like, I want your money, I want you to lose weight and then see you later, then at least we'd be a right. little bit better off. I don't know. And it's like a utopian idea to think that you're going to solve the problem, right? It's not going to happen. Yeah. But this, this stat though is, it's, it's not funny, but it's funny in a sense that, so like some of the, some of those weight loss techniques or tools that we talked about in previous episodes, like the, I don't know, like the people trying to make a quick buck or people selling like, quote unquote shredder programs like programs where people dramatically lose weight and fat very rapidly like these right. types of things are like, like the gen- cut. yeah there's stuff, stuff like, like that. that exactly yeah so i mean all of that is perfectly in line with this the fact that people bounce back because i i don't know if a lot of people realize this but so when you're losing weight like we've kind of talked about this before like you're resting metabolic rate so the rate at which your body basically is burning calories when you're losing weight your resting metabolic rate decreases because you're not bringing in as much calories so the body says okay we're not getting as much energy in therefore i need to save a little extra so that's fine like people lose the weight as they're losing the weight the resting resting metabolic rate decreases but then what happens is they kind of hit that plateau and then if they increase calories especially if they do it like very, very suddenly and rapidly. So if after decreasing calories, they all of a sudden go back up like 
I don't know, even anywhere from like 500 to 1,000 calories, but do it very rapidly and do it consistently like for the next several months, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, pretty common, right? We think like people cut through the summer and then come winter for a lot of different reasons, people start to feel a need to eat more. So say come fall, winter, they increase their calories by like 500 to 1,000, maybe more. Well, their resting metabolic rate is still way, way down meaning that they're more likely to store all this energy that they're bringing in, store that as fat, and then you kind of just get this vicious cycle that starts up again. And then going through that year after year after year. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Takes a toll. And I think like metabolically it does get it does get a little bit harder every time. Well, I, it's not just metabolically, like even just mentally it would absolutely get harder every single time when that happens to you. Yeah. So I think something like that, it's almost like, like the hydroxy cuts, the, the quick cut programs, the, the generic get shredded programs, all of that. It's like whether, whether the people selling those know it or not, it is like even like a cause of this and sort of feeds that, I think. Mm. It, it feeds that weight loss, the, the yo-yo dieting basically is what right. it, it feels that and feeds that. Yeah, and then the marketing is just using people. We've talked about this multiple times right. too, just touching on all those little insecurities, whether it be a Facebook marketing campaign or a commercial or a poster that you see at GNC, yeah. right up on the wall. Hydroxy cut. You got some shredded guy or girl on the poster, all sweaty and shiny. Yeah, abs <laughs> popping, and for some reason, people think that that is a pillar of health. Um, or an ideal body that they want, I guess. I'm, I'm always confused as to whether or not people actually even want that or not, though. You know, like you see a poster and it's like, does that person actually want to look like that? Or is that just what they're being told they should look like that? And then they're just right. being like dodo birds and one after the other just jumping off the cliff. Right? Like it comes to a certain point. And I, this is where I, I can kind of understand the, the person who said like nothing can be done about it. Like people make their choices. It's a, like I, I that definitely has some merit to it in the sense that like you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. And if somebody's making the choice to continually sabotage themselves and go through that cycle, then that happens. But I think on on the flip side of that, I don't think there's as much control over that as someone who is in control of right. their willpower yeah. and has that. And has established it like that's a practice thing that this that people have to be able to do and that happens slowly over time and I think for people that don't have the same sort of support or environment day-to-day of health being a priority like for us we walk into the gym or, or hang out with our friends and like for the most part they're all very health conscious in some way shape or form so the environment's just a little bit healthy but what if you you go home and like your husband's rocking little caesars hot and ready's and coca-cola's for dinner and you're like oh well i'm gonna have my my salad and chicken and then your husband makes a comment about oh what you eating healthy now and then that makes you feel <laughs> yeah. bad and then there's strain shaming. on the relation health shaming then there's strain on the relationship then your kids are watching that happen and then they're now in that cycle oh the your kid doesn't – and I don't have kids, so I always get in trouble when I talk about kids and parenting because I have no idea, obviously. And just like I'll totally admit that right now. I have no idea what parenting's like. Obviously, I'm not a parent. But 
when you're, what I can say is that if a kid is watching that and like, oh, I don't want to eat my broccoli, so then you go and get him a happy meal and feed him a happy meal instead, like all you're doing, like the kid's going to get what it wants and there's no real like progress from that. And it's just like a weird sort of environment that I can't, that if I was in that situation, right, it's all about experience and your perspective, like put yourself in those situations, like would I be able to actually have the willpower to do what I do day to day? I'm not really sure. My parents were always health conscious and health minded. Well, my mom, my dad was active, but yeah. I mean, Same here. he liked to smoke and, <laughs> and drink and do all that stuff too. Uh, whereas my mom, not so much, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's easier to look from the outside in and make um, kind of like a blanket statement to it. But yeah. I, don't, I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's, that's one of the most important points here, what you were talking about, is like how are kids actually brought up? So like these, these adults that are in these statistics that we're telling you, mm-hmm. you know, that the 95% of adults who are regain, regaining all of their weight within three years afterwards... Right. Well, what was their upbringing like? Like, what was yeah. their childhood like? If their parents were similar to this or the same way or even, you know, worse, like maybe their parents didn't even ever try to lose weight. They were just, you know, I mean, they were eating just quote unquote junk food all the time and that's what they were feeding their kids. Well, I mean, it's sad. Like those kids, I mean, they hardly even stand a chance. Right. Like yeah. I've, again, I... I obviously don't have kids either, so I can't speak from that perspective. But one perspective that I did have was um, a few summer jobs working in like less than fortunate homes. So like doing doing maintenance and house repairs in people's homes who essentially couldn't afford to hire a contractor themselves. So it was paid for through the city, through the town. So these were rented homes. Um, And like a lot of these places you go into, it's just like, it's sad like you you just see the things that the parents are doing and the kids are just there you know observing listening they're right. four five six years old and it's like man like these kids stand absolutely no chance in hell like yeah. it's 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 disappointing when you see that like what actually goes on like yeah. crushing coca-colas at breakfast at 8 a.m like it just just everything you could imagine drinking bush tall cans 8 a.m in the morning like yeah and the kids just yeah. yeah so that's definitely a big factor here is how were the people actually brought up yeah because you can't argue that that's going to affect their thought and decision making later on in life right I, I most of the stats i looked up to most of the thing most of the things i saw are from uh, 1970s to now to like 2009 to 2012 were most of the things that I could find, which is, yeah. those are pretty dated now. They're almost 10 years old. But uh, the difference between the 70s and and now were astonishing. Like almost everything was up in some capacity uh, to a point where it's, it's quite alarming. And you got to think about what's happened since then. Like these people have had kids and then those kids have grown up, right? Those kids are now adults or they're 30 something years old from the 70s to now right 30 to to 50 probably are the people that are going to be included in these studies um so that that's a it's a problem with the how we're bringing kids up and and, and it is at home um and i guess the argument can be once you become an adult you can make your own decisions but it's really hard when when your behaviors are already established um and you don't know and 
the chemistry in your brain is is mm-hmm. gear is aiming you in a certain direction and it's it's pretty tough to to make that call there so i guess like i guess we kind of think talk about our opinions on how we can help kids yeah since that's a big problem well, i had some feedback on that one yeah let's do that and then after this like we can kind of just go through like different um i guess you could say like the biggest factors that are like we've already talked about a couple already, obviously, like kids upbringing, but then we can talk about a few others. Like, what do you think the biggest one is? Like, you know, technology. Right. So I, we can get to that later. There's just so many possibilities here. Yeah, for sure. The one, a couple of things that I got um, in terms of just kids. Uh, one's very simple, is just saying mandatory exercise. But I guess you got to define what that really looks like. Um, some more specific ones were. Um, K to 12, so kindergarten to grade 12, movement, education, until activity becomes as habitual as sleep. I'm digging. I like that. Dig that one. I'm sure we'll get some people responding saying it's not doable or it's bullshit, but yeah, I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Utopian you're, world. You're not here, here so we can say what yeah. we want. This is our world. <laughs> uh, stop accepting influence from domestic lobbies to health recommendations. So you, like averages and things like that to determine the health of a population and then basing your preventative or reactive measures on those stats, which are obviously skewed and they're skewed for a lot of reasons. But one big one is when's the last time you were at your doctor? Don't remember. Right. Cause you're healthy. Same with me. I don't remember last time I went to the doctor. The only people that go to the doctors and things like that are people that are sick. So if we're making our averages off of people that are already not well, What's going on, right? Just that's obviously like a very surface level. So I, did, that, I made a few trips to the doctor, probably like three or four last year, just asking to get blood work done, and got shut down every single time. Yeah, so. but that's the only reason I went there. <laughs> yeah, like, I did that too a couple of years ago. They're like, "Why do you want your blood work done?" I was like, "Oh, I just want to know like where I'm at, like if I have any sort of deficiencies yeah. or anything like that that I should be taken care of." They're like, "Well, you're not sick, are you?" I'm like. I don't know, am I? Like, yeah. you can't look at somebody and see if they have cancer, right? Like, so maybe that's a big-ass problem right there. Yeah, that's annoying. Is that we're not actually treating people until they've, well, once it's too late, basically, once they've already developed the chronic illness. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if Devin has anything to talk to us about this. That's a good idea. Yeah. Devin, if you're listening. Yeah, let us know. Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then another one was social programs to elevate the floor of socioeconomic mass. So, Mm. I mean, there's always that argument, like the mandatory gym class and mandatory health class. I think, um, I think it's definitely a good thing. I remember when, I think when I was in high school, they first changed, I'm not sure if this was across the board, if it was just at my school or just Thames Valley or what it was but they stopped making gym and health class mandatory after grade nine you only had to take it in grade nine and then it was an elective or yeah, i forget I what they called it probably got, the same way yeah you got to choose whether or not you wanted to take it or not and then when you were there it was a complete joke like gym class was floor hockey soccer dodgeball basically whatever we wanted to do yeah and then health classes were like anti-bullying, don't smoke, 
basically just don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, and then sprinkle Canada's food guide on top. Yeah. And it's like, <sighs> I, I always get really frustrated because I know, and I think on one of our very first episodes, I went on a little rant about like shift workers and, and things like that. And you and I both agree that these people like hold up, hold us up without them, right. everything would crumble. But I definitely believe that there's people that are meant to do those jobs and can handle the stress it puts on their body and mind and they really love and care about their jobs and they do a good job at it and those are the people that should be doing those jobs like people that yeah say, I agree. let's use nurses for an example like they're super caring they love what they do they never miss a day they're like going above and beyond but they also take care of themselves and they're doing what they can to remain healthy and manage their stress and and blah 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 fill in the blanks of all the other things that would influence somebody's well-being and then there's also those people or the nurses that that hate it. They they don't want to, unmotivated, unwell themselves, taking smoke breaks, you know, like doing all these things that are like, wh- why are you doing that job if you hate it so much? I think it's the same thing with, with teaching, right? Like there's, I mean, yeah. Keelan, right? Like Jesus, <laughs> there's yeah. people like that and like... Uh, I know a number of other teachers that just love what they do and they put their heart and soul into their classes and they want to make it the best and all this extra work on their classroom and setting up their their um, their plan their lesson plans and things like that to make it interesting and engaging and they I can't I mean I coach for four hours I'm exhausted I can only imagine dealing with a group a classroom full of kids with all different needs and abilities and yeah that's for the, an entire day <clears throat> that's the part that people always forget about teaching and I admittedly 100% used to be one of these people who was like teachers that is the most gravy job of all time but now (laughs) I get summers off (laughs) yeah but now like it's not living with Keelan and seeing things firsthand and like understanding the situation it's like it is I am telling you right now it is absolutely not that whatsoever I mean and I guess that it shouldn't really come as a surprise but it does to a lot of people but I mean go to I don't know if you've ever been a coach of like a sport, a young kid's sports team, or if you've ever worked at like a summer sports camp is a good example. Like it is by the end of the day, you were like, Oh God, get me out of here. Cause you were just so sick of kids, like not listening, running around, like it's ridiculous. But yeah, I've found the talking thing too. Like, like you said, after coaching a few classes, but I notice it a lot if, um, if I'm doing like a few seminars in a day or whatever, but same thing, like one of those days where you're talking constantly all day long, yeah. you're absolutely gassed after that. Yeah. Well, think of a teacher now, like they're not going in there on a Wednesday. So, oh, Hey kids, sorry. Uh, a little tired today. I don't think I'm going to talk much. So if you guys can just sit at your desk and work away all day long, <laughs> like yeah. that's not an option. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking constantly like seven eight hours a day every single day so yeah it's definitely exhausting not to mention not only talking but trying to get 30 kids to pay attention to you yeah and make a difference in in their life and like teach them something every single day and on the flip side i've definitely had those teachers that come in they're like i'm tired you guys are watching bill not all (laughs) day right they're definitely that's pretty much what i felt like our health classes were it was like yeah i don't really want to teach this i don't really you know like 
nobody really wanted to be there because nobody there was never any value attached to it it was all stuff that we had 14 assemblies about the same thing every single year like don't bully each other that didn't work right that approach no. doesn't work so obviously there has to be some sort of change and like we said at the beginning that's so political that how how are you going to get movement classes or movement education mandated across the board and how are you going to and then you have to get educated individuals that are driven and willing to put in the time right. and effort to create these curriculums which i think there are people out there like ian bennett the head of uh, canadian functional fitness federation he's a professor at university of lethbridge as well nice. and somebody like that would be a perfect fit but you need you need a lot of, you need to clone him yeah. a, a million t- a thousand times and, and spread them out across the entire country and all the schools to make an actual difference i think it's a really really good idea but like you said i just don't know exactly what it would look like that's not saying that we shouldn't try to strive in that area and make progress and make improvements i think absolutely we should but yeah it'd be difficult and i don't know exactly what it would look like like again like isn't so i think is gym class three days a week or something right now for like kids in public school is that right what it is i'm not sure either so we can't really comment on that but i think there is something there in terms of like movement education even just teaching kids like how to move the body properly like Mm -hmm. how to even just like the basics um if we think about just think about the deadlift like how many times in a day hypothetically are you doing a deadlift Mm -hmm. or should sorry put it this way how many times in a day should you be doing a deadlift (laughs) right right so there's um an instagram account called move you do you know the one i'm talking about no i don't follow that one um yeah, it's a good one. So these guys, um, I don't know what their background is, like physiotherapy, chiropractor, something along those lines, movement-based. I know those are very, very different, but they're very, their knowledge of like anatomy and um, like movement of the body structurally is very advanced. But anyways, they, they'll, they'll post things with just like everyday scenarios that you might encounter. So it might be something like... Um, you know, picking up a bag of groceries or getting something out of the fridge or um, getting a stroller out of a vehicle, carrying strollers upstairs, all of these basic movements that you would encounter on a daily basis. But the best part about them is they'll do like a, they'll do a comparison between like how the average individual would look when doing this movement versus how you should look when doing this movement. So for instance, picking up a stroller which is if you've ever picked up a stroller like they can be pretty heavy so if you're picking that up with you know like rounded back slouch shoulders um straight legs whatever you know just terrible quote-unquote deadlift form now think about how many times you're doing that repetitively over the course of one month a year several years add in picking up anything else off the ground that you would do on a daily basis groceries anything well, that takes a toll on the body. And then you wonder why people have so many chronic illnesses, so much joint pain, right? Well, it's so to kind of back all that up, these are people who are 30, 40 years old, have absolutely no idea how to properly move their body. So I, th- I do think there's something there in terms of like actually educating kids in public school how to properly move the body. That may sound ridiculous, but... I don't think it is. I mean, you just have to kind of start to implement it and then it doesn't seem so ridiculous after all when you 
um, kind of consider the importance of it and what it can do for kids in the long run. Right. Like just to give another example, like sometimes when we see young kids come into the on-ramp program, not just young kids, sorry, adults too. Hmm. There's people who, I mean, you ask them to do an air squat and it's like, like, how do you do an air squat? Right? right. Like it's, I mean, it's incredible. So again, this is, we are a minority community. Some people don't know how to properly move their body safely and efficiently. So it's not far fetched to say that there's a need for some type of movement based practice at young ages, especially after puberty, if possible. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I remember being that age and like you've, you don't even know where your feet are mm. when you're a, a giraffe teenager just went grew like six right. inches in three months so you have no idea where your body is at and all. then if a kid knows how to move well then all of a sudden maybe gym class isn't embarrassing for them or not a bad time maybe playing sports isn't such a thing that they despise because they're comfortable in their own body and actually know how to do it and don't feel like they're embarrassing themselves yeah you can even i think last yeah it was last month it was all of our on-ramp um in the evening anyways that i I was coaching. They were they were all young kids under under sixteen, I think, yeah. all of them. And there's all different abilities to move their body at at the start. But one thing one thing you definitely notice is by the end of the four weeks is just the confidence that they have walking walking into the gym. Like day one, it's it's a little bit of a coward position, like rotated in and and shy, head down. Eyes are, eyes are up but heads down kind of like not very confident in themselves or where they're at and it's an exposure thing obviously it's a brand new space to them but last month for example somebody got a pull up like couldn't do a pull up at the start of on ramp and got a pull up by the end and it, it was on they had the strength the whole time they had the ability to do it the whole time just the first time they tried they quit right away it was like half as soon as it got challenging they stopped and through encouragement over the next three weeks of just okay try it's like no you can do more no you can you, you can do more you can get you can do more and just repeating the same thing over and over again all of a sudden they get their first pull up and just walking around like a peacock for the rest of the hour right just okay. proud as shit they're so happy with themselves and if nothing else like if nothing else you listen to in this podcast like i mean that confidence that you give a kid could literally be life-changing exactly and then that's a positive influence on that kid moving forward to continue doing what they're doing because they're they're finding enjoyment and they're finding success like there's so many other ways that that people especially nowadays i think with like technology there's so much like immediate um uh what's the word i'm looking for like gratitude yeah like it's immediate right like they're playing a video game and they pass a level boom exciting yeah, delayed gratitude trait is pretty non-existent these yeah days. so being able to do that and continuing to challenge the kids to try new things and don't let them stop right it's like oh that that hurts it's like what does that mean right don't just be like oh okay don't do that then challenge them what yeah. does that mean oh my hands are sore from the pull-up bar doesn't matter Right, like that's not something to be worried about. Oh, it hurts! Like, um, 
like an actual injury, that's a different thing. You have to talk to them a little bit more, but you got to challenge them a little bit more. Right. And I don't feel like it's like, oh, I don't want to do gym class because I'm tired today. And it's just like, okay, I see it all the time. There's a, a whole bunch of kids and it's like, did they have confidence in their athletic ability? No. Were they athletic? No. Were they ever challenged to move their bodies, which is a fundamental thing that everyone sh- should be able to do? No. And that's not fair to that kid because the confidence goes way down in those situations from there. Everybody doesn't have to be an athlete. Sports doesn't have to be your thing. Your thing can be art. It can be music. It can be um, collecting rocks. It can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't yeah. have to be athletics, but you have to take care of your body so that you can enjoy the things that you enjoy. Yeah, like the more I think about this and the more we talk about this, now I'm like, if you think it sounds ridiculous to implement even some type of fitness education in a public school, then use your head. Cause like, yeah. what are, what are the, what are two things that you're going to do your entire life? No questions asked regardless. You're going to move your body and you're going to communicate. That's it. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. if you just think like fundamentally, okay, now it's like, all right, obviously we teach kids how to communicate from the very beginning. Right. In all different but ways. We're never taught how to move. Yeah. So then I'm thinking like, Okay, by the time you get to grade nine, which is like the one year ever that you're ever in some schools, my schools, like required to do these like this fitness testing as part of gym class. Yeah. There was like a beep test. We did um, like, I don't know, like mat, max pushups or bench press or something like that. And of course, all the kids who liked sports were like, hell yeah, let's do right, this. Right. But like other kids who maybe never played sports, they don't stand a bloody chance. Like they've never done anything like that in their life. And then all of a sudden we throw this at them and this is just all of a sudden reinforcement for them not to move and use their body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then those kids, it's like, it's okay not to where it's not okay for someone who struggles in math to not do the math test. Exactly. You still have to do the math test. If you fail, you fail with people. And then the teacher helps that individual raise up their level right that's what happens they're not gonna they're not gonna abandon the kid because he's not good at math i mean math just isn't his thing but are they gonna help him pass so that he can move on and get to eventually like college or university or or not and just find something that they really enjoy in their life because of the experiences that they had through school yeah isn't that kind of the whole idea i would think so he doesn't have to be good at math no right we all don't have to be mathematicians you don't all have to be good at writing essays right like they're there's diversity for a reason, but lowering the floor to meet the lowest standard of kid to make them feel better about themselves does not do that kid any justice at all. It's like raising, it's like lowering the passing grade from a 50% to a 35% because not enough kids are getting 50% in math. It just doesn't make any sense. And it's not helping those kids at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And I, I don't even think that, so this kind of movement education thing, I don't think it would have really even been a need, like, I don't know, say like 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's just kind of semi-recently because we have so much technology, mm-hmm. because people actually have the ability now to hypothetically get through life without ever using their body. Right. But guess what? There's side effects to that. Obesity. There, exactly. Chronic illness. Whereas if you look at... Maybe this is a little bit stereotypically stereotypical because I grew up in like a mostly farming family. But if you think back to, you know, before the this big boom in technology, um, a lot of people or a, a large majority of people were either just 
automatically active as a result of, you know, lack of transportation, lack of technology to keep you occupied. Um, but the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is like manual labor, I think was more common. Mm -hmm. Um, like I always hear stories from like my parents, but especially my grandparents about like growing up on a farm and it's like, you don't have a choice. Like right, yeah. you're getting out there every single morning, four or 5 AM doing chores, whether you like it or not. So, mm-hmm. and again, that's, that's maybe an extreme example, not an extreme example, but I know not everyone even in those days grew up that way, but it's just an example of how the majority of people or a larger percentage of people than would do that today were in settings like this where they were maybe on a farm or something similar where they were they were just forced to be physically active so I'm assuming as a child when they first start for example throwing bales of hay their dad was probably like hey son like lower your knees a little bit bend over a bit more you'll have a stronger grip on the hay blah 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 Mm -hmm. and then it kind of just goes from there yeah and we don't have that anymore right yeah they're just gonna watch their dad exactly, or mom or whoever's yeah. lifting up the hay bale they're gonna watch me like okay that's how you do yeah. it yeah and we don't have that anymore no. and i think people forget about people forget about the strong influence of the stuff out of the gym mm-hmm. so like even just walking like walking hugely underrated you could be in amazing shape if all you ever do is walk <laughs> like i mean yeah consistently your whole yeah. life you just gotta move yeah yeah for sure it's big time monkey see monkey do and some people hate it when you're like ah oh, you're setting an example for your kids they're like oh i don't like that pressure too bad man <laughs> too bad i yeah, don't care bloody sponge <laughs> you know like you are you, that's exactly what you are and if you're allowing yourself to do certain things you like your kids are watching you do that whether you want them to or not there's nothing and they're just absorbing every yep. everything that they see and everything that they hear so you gotta be really careful with that stuff. If someone, I'm gonna get in trouble again. Cause I'm not a parent, but it's just the way it goes. That's fair. Next time you're at the gym, just look at look at the if there's a young kid there. Look at the young kid. Watch what they do, and then look at what their parent does. Yeah, they literally mock them like movement for movement. If they're yeah. doing a kettlebell swing, they grab that tiny little yellow kettlebell and try and do exactly what it's they're the doing. It's the most adorable thing ever. I love it. It's the best. So. Yeah, that's why I would never, there. Yeah, that's why I'll never tell a kid to go sit on the couch yeah. ever because I'm like, I don't just come hang out with me, right? Like I'm always in a space where people aren't just come hang out with yeah. me, hold this kettlebell, imitate what your parents are doing. I, I love it. That's that's what makes a difference at the end of the day. And if you're going to say old people, you don't imitate stuff like my mom taught step classes. I would go as a baby and watch her teach step classes. My dad had a gym set up in the barn. So like we'd be in the barn, he'd be, I'd be obviously not working out the same way he did, but I had like my mom's little pink plates. I put on my, my little wife beater. That's a, that's poor taste. But (laughs) at the time, that's what my dad called them. The, like the white undershirt. And uh, I'd imitate what he was doing. Not even close to what he was doing actually. Right. Like I'm just being a goofball with my little pink, pink weights. But like there's, we play hockey in the barn. Um, he never wanted to be yeah. goalie, so he'd shoot on me. I ended up being a goalie. Right, like things like this, it just it does happen. You can't deny that it yeah. doesn't and that kids aren't watching everything you're doing. So I think if we actually want to make a change, aside from all the political stuff and the education system, because that's so complex and, and 
you know, interconnected and there's so many things that, um, in terms of like a curriculum that teachers are teaching, like there, everything is there for a reason. And I'm not questioning that in any way, but the way you can make a change is just by setting better examples and just holding people around you to a higher standard as well. Like don't let people be soft. Just don't accept it in your life, right? Like it changes your circle. Um, and maybe some, you might lose some people in your circle because of it, if you're being a little bit too strong towards them, but it's like, is it caring to challenge someone to be better or is it caring to allow them to be where they're at? If that is of a detriment to their own health or the health of their family or, or whatever, like yeah. I think it's more caring to challenge that person. Like that, that's what, like, I don't want somebody to tell me I'm right all the time. I don't want somebody to be like, oh, you're doing everything right. Don't change. Because nobody is that. Yeah, that's not helpful. No, it's not helpful at all. So the more more challenge that you get, it forces you to either reassess what you're doing and change because you realize maybe you're doing something wrong or it reinforces, you're like, no, no, this is is my belief and this is what I hold valuable to me and I'm not not willing to change that because of somebody else's opinion. But the challenge is what solidifies that for you. Yeah. Big time. Totally agree. I think that's a good place to take a break. Yeah, sure. We haven't even gotten into any of our questions from Instagram yet, Sorry. so let's take that into the next one. We're yeah. going to run out of time. <laughs> um, so you guys have to wait another week for the next one. Suckers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> got to spread Sorry. this out. Break that to you. Um, but what else can we tell you? we got a couple guests in the... In the old pipeline, as they say. Yeah. Coming down the pipeline, is that a saying? <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, I think you guys will like that. That'd be good. Lots of, like, well, extensive knowledge of hormones and... Yes. Um, prenatal, postnatal exercise. That was, that's been a big... There's something in the water at West London CrossFit right now, so... <laughs> we, got, yeah. we got quite a few pregnant ladies right. ripping around the gym, so that is a very... Whenever we ask, uh, what do you guys want to hear about, that always is one that comes up, so... Yeah, I'm interested. I'm excited for that one. Yeah, that would be a good one. Hear somebody else's voice other than us, too. Yeah, Just like laughing that. about. would <laughs> be good. Then, yeah, we'll get some more people, too. Yeah. We got to get a hashtag or something going. Yeah. Experimenting with fitness or something. Something. I don't know what. Something cheesy and catchy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Do you have a seminar coming up? That would be after when they listen to this? Yeah. What do I got coming up? Um, one next Monday in uh, Lucan on xenoestrogens like estrogen mimics basically so like all these things in our environment that mimic the effect of estrogen in the body which not good excess estrogen is not a good thing Um, leads to inflammation toxicity increases risk for cancer so that's kind of like a smaller seminar probably like 10-15 people at a friend's gym in Lucan and then uh I'm working on a couple bigger ones, hopefully London area, but also like Ottawa area. Cool. Collab with some people that I I know from doing my undergrad there. So looking Sweet. forward to those ones. Those ones will hopefully be before summer. And then uh, I think that's really all the ones I have planned thus far. No, sorry, I forgot about one. Um, I have one at 
Um, I better not mess up their name. XL Therapy. Um, so this is in... Oh, what's that little village called? Um, in London? Yeah, I think, it's in, I think it's in Wortley area. Could be wrong. Yeah. So don't quote me on that. <laughs> but I'll post some things about it. But anyways, this one is more so specifically geared to... Um, neuroinflammation, inflammation in the brain, how that affects like everything from like post-concussion to PTSD, even excess like anxiety, stress. This will be more based on like, more based on, I guess what you could call people who like really struggle with this type of stuff. They want to know what they can do in terms of nutrition to help Mm -hmm. hopefully improve those symptoms that they struggle with. Um, Yeah, so. Cool. How about you? You got... Um, I'm still going to do that talk at the, at Fanshawe downtown next nice. week for the obesity, That's um, good. seminar. I don't know really what to call it. Just a quick, like half hour talk on, uh, so what is that? What is that part of? Are they having like a, a full day dedicated to that or? Yeah. It's That's a full good. half day conference from nice. noon to four, I think. So I just have like a half hour block of time to yeah. talk about. Um, what it is that I do day to day and nice. they want sort of a perspective of uh, preventative measures to take um, I don't know it's, that's it's always a tough one for me in terms of preventative things because uh, I mean we just talked about it in this in this podcast what how I feel preventative things yeah. are but a lot of times when people want you to speak they want you to talk about like what somebody can do in terms of diet and exercise to prevent this but it's a lot deeper than that. So they kind of gave me the green light to talk about my perspective and what I think. So that's kind of fun. Um, then we got tag summer camp. Oh yeah, that's right. Or spring yeah. camp yeah. coming up. The uh, what does he call it? Tag echelon. Yeah, <clears throat> the upper echelon. It sounds like a Rick Ross song. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably where he got it. <laughs> probably. So we'll be doing that one in yep. whenever that is May. I think. Yeah, I think that's May too. No other talks, though. Just this. Just this podcast. This is my blabber time, for the most part. Oh, that's good news, though. So, sounds like we're not just yelling at you guys through the the speaker of the podcast, and we're actually getting out (laughs) into the community and doing the same stuff. So, we're not hypocrites. No. No, we're trying. We're trying our best. All right. Okay, next week we'll touch on... All of the very heated Instagram conversations that we had yes. with people about this topic of obesity being an epidemic. Um, things about things like uh, the strain it puts on emergency services. Um, kind of big picture firsthand experiences that people have had with that and uh, very emotional okay. sort of responses too. So that'll be out Sweet. next week. All right, thanks for listening. Catch you next time.